Welcome to Science Section. My name is Kian, and I am bringing you this week's Scientist of the Week segment. Today's interview is really exciting. We have the honor of having the 2020 Faculty of Science Valedictorian at McMaster University. So without further ado, let's begin. Thanks for coming to our show. Would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Of course. Uh, first of all, thank you, uh, Kian, for having me on, and it's my pleasure. Um, yeah, so my name is Stefan Lajenovic, and I just graduated from McMaster 2020 uh, from the Life Sciences program. And yeah, I'm going to be continuing with some more school down the road, and that should keep me uh, engaged for the next several years. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I have the pleasure of knowing Stefan from first year. Uh, he was my mentor from the Faculty of Science, and he truly helped me navigate through my first year times, which were amazing and at the same time stressful. <laughs> I'm really grateful for that. Uh, so let's start with some fun questions so our audience also gets to know you a bit better. Uh, who is your favorite musician of all time? Mm -hmm. So there's like a couple of musicians or artists kind of groups which come to mind. Um, and I feel like this is a pretty common response where like you have different musicians you like when you're at different moods or kind of stages. So like I always like Coldplay, like upbeat uh, music, but also like some more kind of slow paced, reflective stuff. Right. Um, I also like, there's a rapper, his name is Mac Miller. And uh, I really like him. Um, and there's another rapper I really like. His name is Loyal Carner. And he's like this uh, rapper, but he's more like a poet. He has such like great uh, right. lines and he raps over a lot of like jazz beats. It's very nice. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, how do you define happiness? So I think like happiness for me is always kind of changing in different contexts. Um, but I think for me, like it's more about actually kind of keeping a consistent uh, baseline, just inner peace, outer peace, tranquility. It's not so much about like spikes in uh, like, you know, like something really great happens. Mm -hmm. It's more about like consistently being content. So, right. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And if you could meet slash work with any scientist dead or alive, who would it be? So uh, he recently passed away. His name was Grant Imahara and he was from um, Mythbusters. And uh, he just seems like a really lovely, really captivating science communicator. And um, I would love to have the chance to meet with him. Right. That's so cool. Uh, so I know you started research at McMaster at Dr. Julia Daniels' lab, and also you worked with Katie Moise. Uh, mm -hmm. So now that you've graduated, what research or projects are you currently working on? Mm -hmm. So I'm still actually working with both Dr. Katie Moise and Dr. Julia Daniel. With Dr. Julia Daniels' lab, I'm working with um, PhD student Sean Hercules, as well as two other undergraduates, Mina and Chen from the Daniel lab, on a systematic review of triple negative breast cancer in women of African ancestry. And triple negative breast cancer is the most aggressive subset of breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And it disproportionately affects, uh, especially premenopausal women of African ancestry. And then with Dr. Katie Moise, I'm working on uh, pedagogical research and really exploring how uh, to improve and engage students with accessibility using online lecture capture tools such as Echo360. That is actually really relevant to these times that we're in with online school and everything. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about universities' approach with online learning? I think one kind of general thing to always keep in mind is 
if these infrastructures are in place, let's say you have Echo 360 support or another lecture capture tool, even after the pandemic, for the sake of accessibility, it makes sense to keep these tools in use. So you've already built the infrastructure, Profe uh, professors and instructors know how to use the tool, students know how to use the tool. So from an accessibility standpoint, and the research that we did reflects this, um, it improves learning outcomes and um, overall experiences in the classroom when students have access to, um, let's say, live streams or being able to watch podcasts after the class finish, like pre-recorded videos or recorded live, uh, live transcripts. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be very interesting, both in the year ahead, but more importantly, like the long term, like the whole system of education and how it will look. Uh, We'll see. We'll see. That's all I can say. <laughs> Are there any areas that it can improve on uh, the system that we have currently going on? I think there's always rooms for uh, improvement in any kind of system. I think one of the biggest things is identifying what are the needs of instructors and students, institutions, and then really talking one-on-one -on -one or with the groups to really understand how can we meet those needs. So for example, uh, and needs can be are often specific to different clusters and individual uh, people. So if you're an international student and you need to uh, be online for a lecture that's in real time, synchronous kind of learning, and the time zone differences are really off, then it's important to like reach out to those groups and account for, uh, to facilitate how you can increase accessibility. So maybe instead of doing a live kind of podcast or lecture, you do something right. that's pre-recorded. So I guess understanding the needs of instructors and students and a lot of instructors might also have children and other commitments. So it's important to be wary and aware of those things. Right. And uh, so your fields of research seem to be really different with uh, communication and also mm -hmm. cancer. So how do you find a balance between these two? And do you have a favorite? Mm. I don't have a favorite, um, <laughs> but I think they're both um, near and dear to me. So with the cancer research stuff, um, my mom passed away from breast cancer two weeks before I started my undergrad. So that kind of breast cancer research is very near and dear to me from that uh, dimension, if you will. Mm -hmm. And then regarding the pedagogy and accessibility research and education, I think it's really important that uh, people have access to education because I think it's a great um, method or approach to uh, learn more about yourself, the world around you, and I don't know, really connect and engage with other people. It's, it's very powerful. Right. right. Uh, and I know you're starting from this September, you're going, you're going to study your graduate studies. So how do you think would that be different from undergrad? So yeah, I'm doing uh, biomedical engineering. I'm doing a direct entry PhD program. I'm starting in oof, just about a week or so now. <laughs> yeah. Time flies. Um, hard to say how it'll be different. I think it'll be much more um, independent because, you know, from going from an undergrad to a graduate level, I think it's a big step up. And I think the research will be more rigorous in some way because when I was an undergrad, like you're doing a thesis, let's say, or I also did a third year project and my thesis with Dr. Julia Daniel. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, uh, it's like a course and you're doing research. By an undergrad, you're only doing kind of courses, right? Right. And when you're in grad school, you have a little bit of a focus on courses, but your primary focus is on doing the research. So I think we'll be much more, um, I'll have a lot more time, which I'll have to dedicate to it. And 
right? Yeah, That's exciting, fun. though. <laughs> I'm excited, yeah. So just to like change the type of questions we have, uh, what do you think you did differently compared to your peers when you were a student that helped you become who you are today, mm-hmm. whether personally, professionally? So I think there's a couple things. Like one is, well, first of all, uh, I really don't know what my peers did, so it's kind of hard to compare <laughs> from that standpoint. Um, but I do know that I'm very thankful. Um, I have I'm very privileged in many dimensions, and I've had many great mentors. Um, and I've sought out these mentors, and they've helped me uh, to double down on my strengths and also help me identify areas of improvement and how I can do that. So from yourself, like you can see yourself in some limited way, but from the outside people can see different things that you might not pick up on, especially mm-hmm. when your mentors have a lot more experience in these things. And some mentors are, um, of course, Dr. Juliet Daniel, Dr. Katie Moise, Dr. Love Kajira, Dr. Sean Park, and Dr. Robert Fleissig. I'm very thankful for all of them. Um, my dad, my mom, uh, my art school teacher from grade nine, Mr. McClure, many mentors, my brothers, Milan and Alex. I love them both. Love them all. Awesome. Uh, so a lot of us as students get fascinated by success, again, like personal or professional, doesn't matter, but without knowing all the challenges that were faced along the way. I'm sure being at your position right now, doing research, being selected as a valedictorian did not happen easily. So could you tell us about some of the challenges you faced along the way as a student? Mm-hmm. Of course. I think that's a really important um, First of all, I think it's a really important question because it's easy to highlight the strengths and the positives without realizing that there's a lot of um, setbacks that come with that. Exactly. So I think one of the biggest one, obviously, like losing my mom uh, wasn't easy. You know, I was 18 years old, two weeks before I began my undergrad. There's a lot of different changes and that added a whole another layer to that. Um, but in many ways, through the challenges, I was able to empower myself and find strength in that. So it's, it's, I think, how you use and how you relate to your challenges, which can allow you to thrive should you see those opportunities. Um, I've had many late nights, but a lot of that has been my fault due to procrastination and poor time management. Um, But honestly, I'm not going to lie, like, I'm very thankful, I'm very privileged in many dimensions. And, you know, any success that I have or anybody has is not just that one person. It's the mm-hmm. whole team that supported you from the start to the beginning. You know, it takes a village to raise a child, as they say. Exactly. May she rest in peace. Thank um, you. So what kind of advice do you have for students who are listening to this show right now and are interested in pursuing research similar to you? I think um, one of the biggest things is to start. So it's kind of like, it's like in physics. So you have like your static friction, which is like, harder to overcome than your kinetic friction. Right. So that really, to get that kind of first set of movement is the hardest. But then once you start something, it becomes much easier. So in a practical, more concrete sense, you know, start reading up on those research papers. Well, first identify what is interesting to you to research. Read about different professors in that space and just send that email. You know, um, they're always looking for great students and honestly, Maybe you won't get into the first lab you're interested in, but just try because you can't really. Okay, there's another quote. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So just take that shot, send that email and put in that step, that stepping stone so you can get somewhere further. Right. That was awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Great analogy with uh, with friction. I really like that. (laughs) I guess we have our uh, interview headline then. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, so what do you think our scientific community needs the most right now? I think in general, um, two things. One is empathy and the other one is accessibility and they often interrelate. So I think science can be uh, in many ways, I've heard it referred to as kind of like an ivory tower. So you can't really get in unless you, um, it can be very, there can be barriers to science and understanding what's happening. So uh, making articles more accessible um, and Dr. Katie Moyes is an expert in, you know, science communication. I learned a lot of this from her, uh, both, you know, professionally and also through her course, LifeSci 3PO3. Excellent course, excellent instructor. <laughs> and like, how can you really convey the science without diluting the importance or the, the, the factual aspect of it? Like, how can you really get your message across mm -hmm. um, so more people can engage in your science and research is more accessible? I think that's always important. Right, and that's exactly what we do at Science Section. We always try to uh, teach people the applied aspects of science, so not necessarily all the huge ones like DNA transcription, uh, but we, we try to like connect people to uh, science. Uh, and our final question, if you were a novel, what would you be called and why? Before I answer that, I just want to say thank you for doing this show because this is exactly what we need. Um, <laughs> so thank you. And the novel, um, I think... I would just title it why, because I always ask why. I'm always interested in the rationale, like behind people's thinking, what they do, why right. they do what they do. And um, I'm very curious and I like to like learn a lot of things and I always ask why. And I think, you know, going back to maybe something that set me apart, I think that's a very beneficial trait, that kind of growth mentality and always trying to understand why things work the way they work or don't work and how you can improve it. Right. That sounds awesome. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me today. That's it for this episode. Make sure to check out our social media to get updated on our latest events, episode, and interviews. Thank you again so much, and best of luck to you in your future.